What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 241. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan, where you can watch this podcast. If you don't want to find all those social media buttons, just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. You'll find all my social media buttons at the top of the page. While you're there, give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. That'll get you on my email list. You won't get a lot of emails from me, but you'll get some. In fact, you'll get one right away that will allow you to join up my McClanahan Academy, which is a great way to support the show, McClanahanAcademy.com. Go there. It's always free to enroll, and when you do enroll, you get a free course, 10 Myths of American History. you got to check your email after that. It comes in a link. So you want to sign up at McClanahan Academy, get that free course, but you also get the best deals on forthcoming courses when you do sign up. You can also become an affiliate of McClanahan Academy. If you want to make some dough on me, you want to sell some McClanahan Academy, go out and do it. It's a great way for you to make money, and I can make money and support the show. And you can also get a little kickback in the process. So McClanahanAcademy.com, great way. Six classes uh, there uh, on all kinds of topics. I've got two more coming out this year. And they are going to be hub-type courses. The first one is going to be uh, United States History 21865, and it's going to be a, the most comprehensive course I've ever provided on the website. And what I mean by that is it's going to be a course that you can use, say, in a, in a high school, homeschool curriculum. There's going to be a lot of great stuff to it that I've added other than just the audio and video lectures. So uh, it's going to be fantastic. You're going to want this class. And then the compendium course, of course, the, the follow-up is the... Uh, uh, second half of the course, which is U.S. History 1865 to the present. So a lot of great stuff. Uh, you're going to want to get these classes. And again, the, those that do enroll do get the best deals. I'm going to have a pre-order coming up very shortly. Uh, and you're going to have the best deal you're ever going to get on that class during that pre-order. So you're going to want to get it on pre-order. And the only people that are going to know about that are going to be McClanahan Academy subscribers. So go on out there and subscribe to McClanahan Academy. Get that free class and then Go ahead and purchase one or six or soon to be seven courses from McClanahan Academy. You can also support the show by going to uh, brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way or bucks, whatever you want to throw. Plus, you've got my book plates there that you can order. So a lot of great ways to support the show. Get my Brian McClanahan gear. Click on that shop button at the top of the page on brianmcclanahan.com. All kinds of great ways to support the, the show. And also, again, share it around on social media. Share it with your friends. Let them know you listen to the show. Uh, rate it on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. That way, more people see it. Like it on YouTube, where you can watch the show. I mean, do all these things to try to get more people watching the show, because if you believe in thinking locally and acting locally, then uh, share that message. I mean, this is this is the point. And, and today, it's going to be all about politics, because we just wrapped up two days of mindless debates 
which really weren't debates. I mean, there's a couple of times where you had some fireworks. They're not debates, though. It's just people running their mouths. Uh, but, of course, this is the kickoff of the 2020 presidential season. I mean, it's hard to believe we're in the middle of 2019. We're, we're over a year away from the November 2020 election, and we're already having, quote-unquote, debates with 20 people. 20 people. Um so I watched the insanity, so maybe you didn't have to, uh, and I know that other people are doing this, but I wanted to provide my thoughts on some things here that have to do with the debates. And so I'm going to start with some big picture things, and then we'll, I'll go into some of the candidates and some of the things that were said, or at least some of the issues that were raised. First and foremost, this, these debates are precisely why I wrote my book, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. I can guarantee you with the exception of possibly one candidate out of those 20, if any of the 20, 19 of them, become president, they'll be added to the book if I did a part two. Because what you saw on that stage, with, again, the exception of one candidate, and even that candidate, what becomes the domestic policy, is going to be awful. But um, all of these candidates believe that the president is legislator-in-chief. All these candidates believe in expansive wars in the American empire, with the exception of one. So what we have in those candidates, well, I mean, maybe Comrade Sanders doesn't. I mean, so maybe two. Comrade Sanders might you know, be in line with um, you know, fomenting, uh, fomenting uh, communist revolutions around the world. So we're going to have a different kind of empire. But all of these candidates believe in the American presidency that was not designed in the Constitution. So when you look at some of the things that were said, when the question was asked directly, what are you going to do, uh, Sanders? What are you going to do, Harris? What are you going to do, people? Whoever it is on the stage, when you become president on day one, what are you going to do to roll back all of these things? I'm going to take out my pen. I'm going to take out my pen and I'm going to use executive orders. And I'm going to use executive orders and all the stuff that Trump used executive orders on. So essentially what we've got now. And I mentioned this in Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. Look, from, from the time of the late 20th century to now, what we've got is an elected king. We believe that the president rules by decree. So I'm just going to sign some stuff. We're going to make some executive orders, and this is exactly what's going to happen. That is the very height of the opposite of what the founding generation wanted from the presidency. Executive orders is ruling by fiat. Alexander Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, the guy that wanted the strongest national government, maybe James Wilson might be right there, Governor Morris, but these three guys, but Hamilton, who in June of 1787 stood up and said, we need a president that's essentially an elected king. This is what we need, an executive that's an elected king, senators for life. Didn't even go so far in selling the Constitution that way. In Federalist 69, he reassured those who will be voting for the Constitution, that it did not create a king. But yet, what we have in 2019 is an elected king. And every single one of the candidates up there essentially said the exact same thing. I'm going to go in on day one, and these are the things I'm going to do. The very questions being asked of these candidates, what is your quote-unquote program? What is your program? The very idea that a president would have a legislative agenda is the exact opposite of what the founding generation wanted out of the presidency. The president wasn't supposed to have a legislative agenda. Congress could have a legislative agenda. But you see, you're looking at a stage of a whole bunch of congressmen, essentially, and they think 
that what their job is is to be prime minister. That's Woodrow Wilson speaking. That's Franklin Roosevelt speaking. We know that presidents, of course, even in the 19th century, uh, would have a hand at times. Jefferson even had a hand at times in making his opinions known on legislation. But these people didn't have a program. That was left to Congress to have a program. So they could say, well, look, you know, this is the kind of things I want. And, of course, the president can make recommendations to Congress in the annual message. Or from time to time, they can make recommendations to Congress. These are things that the president can do. But the very idea the president's going to come in with a whole legislative agenda is the antithesis of what the founding generation wanted out of the executive branch. So this was on full display both nights when it was asked about all kinds of issues. But one of the more pressing, of course, was health care. This took up a lot of time. What are we going to do about health care in America? And all of the candidates essentially admitted. Now, the first night, it was a little bit different. There were only two candidates that raised their hand when they were asked, are you going to support uh, a, a policy that gets rid of private insurance. Only two of the ten did it. On the second night, however, almost every candidate raised their hand. So we see a very clear process developing here by which the Democrat Party has moved so far left that you've got half the candidates, at least half the candidates, who would support a system that destroys private insurance. Destroys it. Does, you're not even allowed to have it. Now, if you want to see the world in which we would live in if that happened, Go watch the, the miniseries Chernobyl and look at the hospital that those people, after they were irradiated to death, were brought to. They were running. They didn't, they didn't know things. They were running out of supplies very quickly. The hospital was falling apart because it wasn't maintained well. The conditions were substandard at best. That's Comrade Sanders' socialist utopia. That's what you would see in a government-run healthcare system from the top down. Not only that, if you want to see a more concrete example in the modern era, when I mean that, but you can actually see it now, just go look at the VA. If you want Medicare or Medicaid for all, is what they're calling it, Medicaid for all. If you want Medicaid for all, then simply go look at the VA, where you have doctors who are um, not allowed to make money, the, the money that they would make, uh, if they were in the private sector. So the healthcare, I mean, people would say, well, I get good general healthcare. Yeah, I mean, if you have a cold, you can go in and you can go see a nurse practitioner for that in the private sector. So yeah, I mean, you might get some, or go to a urgent care. You might get okay healthcare that way. But need if you need anything more, they're going to ship you out to private practice. At least they might do that. But more or less, you're going to have long waits you're going to have substandard care. You're going to have horrible conditions. We've seen the images of the VA hospitals. I remember years ago, this is this is over a decade ago, CVS, CVS actually ran a piece on the, on the poor conditions of VA hospitals. And this has been a huge issue over time. It was a huge issue four years ago, almost four years ago, with the 2016 election and talking about VA health care. But that's what we're going to get. You see, nobody brings us up. Just start showing the images of government-run hospitals. Is that what you want? And I think people would realize in a second, no, that's not what we want. The other thing they all admitted is that 10 years ago when we had Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, and the, and the argument was made, well, if we do this, this we're, not, we're not trying to, you're not going to get rid of your doctor. You can keep your doctor, right? Uh, the idea was we're not going to single payer. That's a bad, I mean, we don't want that. But everyone admitted now, about a decade later, that's the entire point. 
to get to single payer. They all want to go to single payer, which again is government-run healthcare. And you can't find a government-run healthcare system that's first of all solvent, second of all that provides the top-level care that you get in the United States. If you need special procedures in particular, or revolutionary procedures, or or experimental procedures, you just don't have all that stuff. If you're terminally ill and you want to try to save yourself, and you have all these different options available in a free market system, when I I mean, we can say healthcare is free market. In some ways, it's really not because you still have the government involved. The government's still involved in the process because you have Medicare, because you have Medicaid. Uh, the point was brought up, if you make Medicaid for all, one of the candidates did bring this up, all the hospitals would close because they wouldn't be able to afford uh, to stay open any longer. So, th- th- but the point is in all of this, the president shouldn't have a health care program at all. The Congress can have a health care program, but the president shouldn't have a health care program. The president is there to execute the laws of Congress. So what we've got is 20 people running around acting like legislator-in-chief or prime minister. And that's not what the president is designed to do. And frankly, the Republicans would do the exact same thing. This is not to just bash on the Democrat Party. I mean, it's, it's worthy of it. But certainly, this is also to say that if, Republicans were, if there were 20 Republicans on stage, you would see the exact same thing. They would say, I'm going to cut your taxes. Bernie Sanders at least admitted he would raise taxes on the middle class because the Comrades program would raise taxes on everybody. right? So if you want to pay more taxes, you want to have higher bills, well, then vote for the Comrade. Vote for the Comrades that were standing on that stage because that's what we're going to get. So that's one of the things. The big picture is the powers of the presidency that are certainly misconstrued by this modern debate structure. Americans don't understand, though, this is not what the president would. We don't want presidential government. We want congressional government. More than that, we want federal government. Because the other thing that became very clear, as you're looking at some of the candidates up there, you had some people that were governors of states both nights. You had some people that, uh, you, have, you, have, uh, you have Mayor Bean, Mr. Bean from Indiana. You have him. And uh, you have these individuals who on the local level can do things because the federal government should be silent on these issues. So when when uh, uh, the governor of Colorado stands up and says, look, I did these things as governor of Colorado. I did this. I did this. That's great. Colorado can do those things because Colorado has more leeway than the general government. The general government is confined by the powers of Article 1, Section 8 in terms of its legislative authority. That's it. So all the things you're talking about there would be unconstitutional at the general government level, but you can do them all at the state level. Great. Go to it at the state level. Make Colorado your socialist utopia. Make California your socialist utopia. But don't expect every other state to get on board with these things. And so the Democrats and the Republicans both have a limited commitment to federalism. It only is good when it works for them. What we really need in America is both parties being committed to federalism. And you see, one of the other things that I would say about the Medicare for All and and Sanders brought this up, is, is uh, of course, the, one of the hot issues is abortion. Uh, but what they don't realize, I think, is that position is maybe a losing issue now in 2019 if 30 states, 30 states now, are actually proposing legislation to restrict that practice. Then um, this, you can see that the majority of Americans have shifted to a position where they want restrictions on it. And, of course, the Democrats across the board don't want any restrictions on it. You see that. I mean, there's, there's, it's clear that that's, that's where they're going to they're gonna stake their claim. 
And so I think they're out of touch on that particular issue. But also, this is federalism working. And that heated exchange, and I'll get into this with Biden and, and Harris, was about federalism as well. And if you go out and read uh, the legislation that Biden proposed, it's all about that. And it's all about the court, the rule of law here. I mean, it, it was getting into the rule of law. But Harris is following an emotive political position. I talked about emotivism way back on the Brian McClanahan show. In fact, this is kind of fun because I first started the Brian McClanahan show in 2016 on the heels of some of the Republican presidential debates. And so I, fo- I talked about those a little bit uh, all the way back in uh, the first part of 2016. So here we are three years later. Uh, we're talking about them again. And um, this, this will be part of the podcast. This is something I wanted to do, which I couldn't do in other areas, was talk about some political things. So um, that's one of the big pictures. Again, so, so think locally, act locally works well for governors and works well for mayors. It works well. And this is where the candidates should be saying, well, yeah, I mean, federalism is something we could do. Maybe at the general level, we should try to encourage states. I mean, I would love to see a candidate on either side, somebody to run and just go up there and say from the beginning, everything you're asking me is unconstitutional. It doesn't matter whether we want it or not. The president is supposed to be the executive, means he executes the laws of Congress. This is exactly what the framers said the president would do. This is exactly how the presidency was sold to the states. This is all the president is supposed to do. And so if we go beyond that, we're going beyond the powers granted to the executive branch by the states themselves. But in order to do that, it requires more education. And this is why I do this podcast. So we had these big picture things. One of the other big picture things, I think, that became very apparent when you look at the exchange between Biden and and, um, Harris over his role in praising uh, Senator Talmadge and Senator Eastman when he was in Congress. When Biden became a a senator, um, he worked with them and he said, look, I mean, these I didn't he actually said I didn't agree with them, essentially, but I work with them and you could work with these people. And what he was saying was we need people in the Senate. We need people in Congress you can work with. Now, his that's an incrementalist approach. That is out of fashion now for the Democrats. Biden is living in 2008. Biden is living in the Democrat Party, the pre-Obama Democrat Party. And what do I mean by that? Obama was elected as an anti, anti-identitarian. He was going to solve all the issues of identity politics because now we've got the first African-American president. All that is going to be put to rest. What happened is it opened the can of worms on both sides. So now you have to be an identitarian in the Democrat Party. Biden can't exist in that world. I think it's very clear that a lot of the candidates, Sanders is trying to go above that, and he's trying to be the comrade. He's trying to be the communist and saying, look, it's all about economics. But that's still an identitarian. We're, we're identifying as uh, these candidates who are uh, Marxist. This is class-based, but it's all identity politics. So the fact is we've got a situation where the Democrat Party has become so identitarian that Joe Biden, even in a decade, is out, of, is out of touch. He's out of touch with what the Democrat Party has become. It has moved very far left on a number of issues. Biden sounds like a conservative in a lot of ways. I mean, he sounds like a Republican from 2008. He sounds like Mitt Romney. I mean, this is why if you look at Joe Biden and Mitt Romney, there's really not much difference between the two of those individuals. Um, Biden also, and I'll just now I'll say this about some of the candidates. Biden looked old. Biden didn't look prepared. 
Biden, Biden's campaign, I think in many ways, if you want to be honest, Biden should carefully consider whether he should stay in this race because he is going to get chewed up by the Democrat machine. Not just that. I mean, the, the big donors are going to want Biden because they think he's the best shot to beat Trump. But he is going to get obliterated in these debates. And he's going to get obliterated. And it, frankly, he doesn't. He looks like he has he's 76. His energy is lower. He's not as quick. I mean, this is just what happens when you age. And um, it, it's just it's just a part of life. He's not the same Joe Biden of 12 years ago when he was a little, I mean, he was a little more active. He could say he was just a little more on the ball 12 years ago. Not so much anymore. So Joe Biden is in trouble. I think it's very clear that Joe Biden, after that debate, is in trouble. Um, And you're starting to see, I mean, this is where Solwell, who has no shot. I mean, what you also saw was a whole bunch of people screaming on the stage because they just wanted to be heard. It's like, yo, listen to me, listen to me. And Gillenbrand was the worst for that. And Gillenbrand went nowhere with it. She sounded like uh, the school kid that never gets called in class who just starts shouting to try to get the teacher to listen to her. Um, and it was pathetic, right? So Solwell was the same thing. Uh, but uh, Biden is so out of step. And I think the same thing with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders needed an ear cone just so he could try to hear what the moderators were asking at times, the, the quote-unquote moderators, what they were asking at times. Um, he, he looked old and cranky. He looked angry the entire time. Is that really what Americans want? Do they want somebody who looks angry the entire time, who can't crack a joke? I mean, Bernie Sanders is the most, uh, if you want to talk about a cast iron man, I know that John C. Calhoun never joked. Bernie Sanders never jokes. Bernie Sanders is the most serious, angry person. And Kamala Harris comes across the exact same way, but emotional at the same time. So she's emotionally angry. Uh, Bernie Sanders is um, is communist angry, and so there's. I mean, people don't want that. This is one of the things that Trump attracted people to Trump is that he could crack a joke. He knew how to crack jokes. He knew how to cut people down. He was he was good at at poking at people, and people laughed about it. So Bernie Sanders is never going to. He's too serious. Do you want that? And I think that's going to be a part of it. But the big donors in the Democrat Party are going to rig it against Sanders I mean, you, or Warren. Well, I haven't even gotten to Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren looked ridiculous. Um, she looks like uh, she, she's uh, unstable at times. I mean, the way that she moves her arms, the way that she gets, the way she does, she looks kind of unstable. Uh, and so, again, and they didn't even ask her one of the hardest questions is, why did you lie about your DNA test? And of course, they're not going to do that. But Trump would eat her alive on that. I mean, it would not even be a contest because of that. And I think Trump would eat alive Bernie Sanders, too. And with Joe Biden not being as quick as he used to, I think I think now Biden came out swinging at Trump. I mean, this is his objective was to say, I'm going to go after Trump and this is what we're going to do. It just it didn't work last night. And I'm not so certain it's going to work all throughout these debates. I think the, the because the Democrats are so focused on policy and what program you're going to have, as as uh, Williamson m- mentioned at the, she doesn't even stand a chance. And I, if you look at the Drudge poll, it's funny because she was third. I think people were just voting for her because she was the least annoying because she didn't say anything. Uh, what she said is you have all these programs up here and everything, but th- you were missing the whole point. I mean, we're, we're focusing, we're getting, in, we're getting in the weeds and we're missing the big picture. Trump won. Because he said, look, i got a slogan to make America great. And that was, she's right about that. Uh, what are the Democrats, what, are the, what is the message you're going to give? 
We're going to raise your taxes. We're not going to make America great. We're going to raise your taxes. We're going to give you substandard health care. We're going to open, we're going to walk down the border ourselves and open the gates and open, uh, open the gates to all illegal immigrants. I mean, they, they admitted, all the Democrats admitted, that they want open borders, unlimited immigration, and we're going to pay. I mean, all these people should get government services, so American taxpayers. And when we say that, we, we all know, you know, Buttigieg said this, well, these people do pay taxes. They, they, do, uh, they do pay uh, sales taxes and things. Let's go to the state coffers, right? A lot of them don't pay federal income tax because they're paid under the table. That way, the, the employers won't get in trouble for hiring these people. So they're not paying federal income tax. And they're shipping their money back to wherever they're coming from, whatever country that is. So there is an issue of that. And most of the federal dollars come from income tax. So you're asking the 50% of the population that pays income tax to subsidize more people who don't pay any income tax. This is where we're getting to in 2019, 2020. Uh, and it just won't work. So we have that particular I mean, Joe Biden looks like he's out of touch. He, he's done. I mean, Joe Biden represents a Democrat party that no longer exists. Even 10 years later, it no longer exists. All the stuff about his association with uh, Talmadge and East. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Um, it's a smear. And that's simply all it is. If you look at the legislation he proposed, and I talk about this in Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, he said, look, if you can't find, if the courts can't find any intent of racism, then why are we bussing people around? Uh, this is the same question asked back in the 70s by the Nixon administration. Why are we doing this uh, if you can't find any malintent, if you can't find any intent to discriminate, then, uh, then we should not be doing this uh, social engineering, which was what was happening in the United States. And people, Americans, were heavily resistant to it all over the United States. It wasn't just the South. I mean, they're bringing up these two senators from the South, but there were race riots in Boston over this, right? And Biden was correct. Look, your city council bust. It wasn't the general government. The city council did it. They decided to do it. Uh, so, I mean, this was a local action to try to what they considered to be a good policy. The federal government had no role in that. That's all Biden's point was. He was basically saying, look, this is, this is not a federal issue. This is a state issue and a local issue. And then Harris says, well, sometimes the states are going to not going to. But she, her argument is actually the opposite of what happened. The state, without federal, urge, without federal prodding, went out and busts anyways. The city council decided to do it. So her position was ridiculous. And it was pure emotion. But that's where, I mean, again, this is where we are. The, the, the Democrat Party is based on emotion now. It's all emotional politics. It's all identity politics. There's no real substance to it. It's about how emotional can I get? How angry can I get? How, uh, how worked up can I get? Uh, one of the other candidates, I don't remember which one it was, he starts talking, then he raises his voice and he starts yelling at the end and he's doing the Bill Clinton finger and uh, he's doing all this stuff. I mean, why? Why yell? It, it just doesn't make any sense. One thing I'll say about Buttigieg, he was the most level-headed candidate on the stage. He didn't, he sounded polished. He didn't stammer. He didn't, I mean, he, he looked more presidential than anyone else. And I think that's something that people are going to start looking for. Harris didn't look presidential. She looked emotional and angry. Sanders looked like a cranky old uh, communist. Biden stammered and stuttered too much. Uh, and so those would be the four on that stage that actually had any shot. The other ones don't have a shot. So out of those four, Buttigieg was the one that looked, uh, you know, when you talk about uh, 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 Mayor Bean, uh, Mr. Bean, Mr. Bean looked the most polished. Uh, the night before, the one candidate that stood out, and of course she rocketed to the top, was Tulsi Gabbard. Why? 
Why did Tulsi Gabbard make such an impression? Because of her stance on foreign policy. And I will say this. The one thing the founding generation said the president was going to do is be commander-in-chief of the Army when actual service, and not just that, head of state. That was the job of the president. So that the, this is the question that should be asked of all of them, your foreign policy positions. And Tulsi Gabbard turned the debate to that, and she frankly let some people have it, which was great. Uh, and so that particular side, the first debate, she was the star. Now, uh, predictably... The narrative became that Russians were now hacking Google and they were making it to where she became the most searched for because she's a Russian agent. This is the New York Times uh, position, which is essentially wrong. They've admitted it's wrong. They've admitted that the United States, and she, when, because Tulsi Gabbard went and spoke with Assad, that the United States is actually supporting uh, the, the ISIS people in Syria. Um, and she's interested in peace. You talk to people when you're, I mean, the, the fact that Donald Trump, is willing to sit down with North Korea, and the Democrats are going bananas over that. Shows you what they really are. They don't care about peace itself. They just care about image and politics. And to them, this is a bad image. But to Tulsi Gabbard, it's a good thing. You want to sit down with everybody and try to have peace and to bring the soldiers home. Why don't we bring all American soldiers home? I mean, this would be something that people... Look, if I first day as president, I'm going to order all American troops back to American soil. We're going to downsize the military. We're going to make it to where, uh, I mean, look, the first militia act said that all American males from 18 to 45 should have a firearm and so much powder and they should be trained how to use it. Well, you could, you could change that now to say all American males, 18, and we're going to get rid of the National Guard Act, which allows National Guard troops to be deployed overseas. We're going to do all of this stuff to try to change the American military. That's where Gabbard sh stood out. I mean, she was a bright star on that on that first night, and why I think she is now in the group of about six or seven that should be that everyone should pay attention to moving forward. Uh, and the fact that she was the only candidate that got a smear question shows you what the Democrats—they're really afraid of her, because if she is this going to be, the, she's going to be the anti-establishment. She's going to tear down the Democrat side of the military-industrial complex, which is something that they can't have. So it's important to note that she was one. Of course, Elizabeth Warren, uh, I think, is the other. So you've got, I think, six candidates. Buttigieg, Biden, Sanders, Harris, Gabbard, and Warren. Those are the six that I think are going to be the front runners moving forward. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, Yang, maybe, but, um, you know, Castro sounded just crazy. De Blasio's, I mean, these people sounded crazy, right? So you've got maybe a, a half dozen that have a shot, I think, at this point of going forward and winning the nomination. And when you look at three of those, Harris, Sanders, and Warren, they're devout. I mean, they're outright socialists. So do you want a communist government in the United States? Um, I, I think, and, and the others, I mean, Biden would be, and Buttigieg would be kind of the moderates, uh, Gabbard, the best on foreign policy. So we'll see what happens going forward. But I think what you saw um, in this particular process was clearly the Democrat Party, as everyone knows, has moved so far to the left that even Biden's out of touch with it. I think even Buttigieg's out of touch with it in a lot of ways. Um, but you have a situation where the, the Democrats want Santa Claus to come to town and they want all the things they can get from that. And if they're not going to get that, then uh, they are, are going to be upset with it. 
Um, and of course, it's going to be so easy to pick that off if, if the Trump uh, campaign knows what they're doing. And I think they do. I mean, Trump himself knows how to handle people. But um, I think it's pretty clear that the Democrats have moved so far to the left that the majority of American population may not support them at all on a variety of issues. Um, so that's my take on the first uh, first debate in 30 minutes. Um, I think that uh, the, the slap at Biden was was silly. Um, it, it doesn't even make any sense. And I, and I, and I applaud Joe Biden for saying, why should I apologize for something I did, you know, then? And it, what, I didn't even praise these people. I just said, I work with them, um, that they that you could work with people. Um, it, it's not, that's, that's a logical fallacy, uh, of 101 to attack Biden for that. Uh, and he was, I, I mean, I, I applaud him for having a backbone and saying, I'm not apologizing for that. And why would I? Um, and he did slap Harris and say, look, I became a public defender. You were a prosecutor. Uh, I actually defended people. Um, so Biden, I mean, gave it back to her, I think, pretty well. Um, of course, he gave it back to Cory Booker, too. Uh, so in that way, I think Biden uh, showed that he was, uh, but again, he just looks like he's out of touch up there, and his campaign is in trouble. I think the, the real star from both debates had to be Tulsi Gabbard. Without question, had to be Tulsi Gabbard. And so we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, but I'll be doing more of these as the debates come around.